What is your life all about? Today's message is entitled, Living with Purpose. Living with Purpose. What is your life all about? What would you make sacrifices for, to have, to be in your life? Maybe sacrifices that others would not be willing to make. If someone observed you or me for a few days, what would they say is your passion and your purpose? Today, Paul is going to make a case for what our passion and purpose ought to be because he's going to state what his passion and purpose was. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, But before we do that, I want to share with you a story. A couple of years ago, ESPN News... uh, did an article on Michael Jordan when he turned age 50. Now, I don't know what you think about Michael Jordan. I think he was probably the greatest player to ever play the game of basketball, of course. Yeah, we know Bill Russell and the Cartwright and all those guys, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, okay. But I think Michael Jordan probably is arguably one of the greatest players to ever play the game. And ESPN wrote this article. You can still find it today and read it. I would invite you to do that. It's very fascinating to read into the thought process of Michael Jordan after he retired. And the title of the article is very appropriate. Michael Jordan has not left the building. This article chronicled the emotional trauma that Michael faced now trying to figure out what the purpose of his life was in retirement. Is, as you know, if you are familiar with basketball, maybe some of you don't follow it, so just humor me for a second, but Michael retired from the game not once, not twice, but he actually would come back twice and have to retire a third time from the game of basketball. And so he really struggled with staying in retirement. He came out of retirement. He played uh, for 15 years total in the NBA. And And as you read this article, it's very clear that Michael Jordan was not happy and he was not satisfied. And some of us would read this and think, well, Michael, why wouldn't you be happy and satisfied? You are probably the greatest player to ever play the game. And you're probably one of the most successful financially. You've got a billion-dollar endorsement contract with Nike. I mean, Nike Air Jordans will probably be around forever. And so... In this article, Michael Jordan says, though, that in the midst of all of his success and accomplishments and accolades, he would give up everything to go back and play the game of basketball. Now, as you think about average lengths of professional sports careers, think about this. Michael Jordan played for 15 years. The average NFL career only lasts three and a half years. The average Major League Baseball career only lasts five and a half, five and, five and a half years. The average NBA career only lasts 4.4 years, and the NHL lasts 5.5. And so think about it. Michael Jordan was able to play 15 years in the NBA. You would think that having tripled all those average career lengths, he would have a very accomplished, a very satisfied life. I mean, think about it. He played 15 seasons, won six championships, had five MVPs, 10 scoring titles, and 14-time All-Star. But here's what Michael Jordan said in that article, and I quote, I would give up everything now to go back and play the game of basketball. The interviewer asked, how do you replace that drive? Michael said, you don't. You learn to live with it. 
He goes on to say, how can I enjoy the next 20 years without so much of this consuming me? How can I find peace away from the game of basketball? You know, as you read these statements, isn't it, I mean, you can't help but feel sorry in some way for this accomplished athlete. Twelve plus years removed from his storied career, and he still seems lost and unsatisfied. What about us? For Michael, his life was all about basketball, and you can see the struggle that he's now facing since he's lost that. You know, for some of us in here, our entire life is centered and built around our career, and we base our entire identity after what we do for a living Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. What if that's taken tomorrow? For some of us, we are successful in that, and we end up retiring, and then we live retired life wishing we could go back because in some way, without us even really realizing it, we found our identity there. We found our source of hopes, of expectations, and a a good future there. And the question is, what is our life all about? For some of us, we, you know, if, if that thing was taken tomorrow, where would our life be? Well, in some way, this is what Paul is bringing up to the forefront. Again, as he continues his theme that he started in 1 Corinthians 8, talking about laying down personal freedoms for the sake of the gospel, for the cause of others, for for the good of others, so that they could grow, and for the sake of the gospel, so that it could be proclaimed. And we pick pick up the story here in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 27. We're just going to read up through verse 23 for the time being. But I want you to see in these verses that Paul's passion... Paul's purpose in life was to bring glory to God by bringing more people to know God God by whatever means possible. That was his purpose. To bring glory to God by bringing more people to know God by whatever means possible. So let's read these verses. Verse 19 through 23. The Bible says this, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. There it is. There it is. He starts out saying, I want to reach more people. I'll be a slave if I have to be. I want to reach more. Do you see his drive? Do you see his passion? Do you see his purpose? Oh, it gets better. Verse 20. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law, to them that are without the law, speaking of Gentiles, as without the law, being not without the law to God, but under the law to Christ. Fascinating verse. That I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Paul's passion, his purpose in life, was to bring glory to God by bringing more people to know God by whatever means possible. That was his passion. I guess Paul probably figured if this is a whosoever gospel then we must be wherever and doing whatever, as long as, you know, short of sin, of course, mind you, but doing whatever we can to reach people who are far from God. This was his purpose. And so he says in verse 23, And this I do, not for his sake, not to make a name for himself, but for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof, with 
you. So what is our purpose? Paul's purpose was to bring more glory to God by bringing more people to know God by whatever means possible. That was his passion. What is our passion? What's our purpose? As you look at this passage, you see Paul break down here uh, the principle that he's basing this off of, how he's shaping his life around this purpose and this passion. We've already gained a sense of that in chapter 8 and chapter 9 by, by this issue of Christian liberty and freedom. These freedoms weren't meant for Paul to serve himself. These freedoms were given to him so that he could serve others and so that he could reach others. And so we see Paul lay out this truth here, and number one, we see in verse 19 the principle. The principle here in this passage, and you can go ahead and write that down there in your notes, the principle was to be a slave to all. So that first blank there is slave. To be a slave to all. Look back at verse 19. For though I be free from all men, so he's basically saying he's not a slave, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. What's Paul saying? He's literally saying that he became a volunteer slave. What he means by this is that he would ad adapt his lifestyle to reach people who were far from Christ, both Jew and Gentile in the weak. He gave up his social standing as a Pharisee. He gave up his religious rights as an old-school Pharisee. When he was with different people, he would give up different freedoms. That was his strategy. He was never about his rights or his freedoms. He was always about serving others with his freedom by proving the fact that he was so free, he didn't have to be free. Isn't that amazing? You know you're truly free when you're freed to serve. And that's the great purpose of our freedom is to go and to reach people far from God by serving them, regardless of what they can give back to you. I don't know about you, but I am tired of serving in a community, thinking that, oh, well, if we serve, we need to be in the paper. If we serve, we better serve somebody who can increase our giving on Sunday. Baloney. That's not serving. Well, that's serving yourself. That's serving ourselves. No, it's not about that. Let's go serve somebody who we, who, we, who we know can never pay us back. Because that's what Jesus did. He came and he did for us what we could never pay back. And although we try, we can never pay it back. Jesus was a servant for all. And so we see this principle here. Paul had this principle of slavery, of being a servant to all. Secondly, we hear in this passage in verse 19 as well, we see the principle, but then we also see the purpose laid out. The, the purpose behind Paul being a servant, both the Jew and the Gentile and the weak, was so that he could win as many people as possible. Look at the end of verse 19, that I might gain thee more. The great reason for our freedom in Christ is not primarily so that we can just enjoy our freedoms. If I understand this passage and other passages like Romans 14 that talks about Christian liberty, our freedoms are given to us for the sake of the gospel. Our freedoms are not for our own good, but for the good of others. You can put that down there in your, in, in your notes there. Our freedoms are not for our own good, but for the good 
of others. In the Old Testament, there weren't many freedoms for a Jew. Think about it. Everyone did the same thing. There were 613 laws that that laid out life to its finest detail. And then the new covenant comes along and fulfills all of those laws and gives to us a new law, the law of faith and love in the finished work of Jesus. And oh yeah, by the way, if you keep the law of love, you end up filling all the morality laws anyway. And so it's not as if, you know, under the new covenant, you're going out and you're sending it up. No, you want to follow Jesus because you see what he's done for you. And so think about this great freedom that Paul now had. He was freed from the Old Testament law as far as a means for finding and establishing righteousness. And so Paul was freed from these dietary laws and these ceremonial laws and the temple rituals. However, it's so fascinating. If you get and you study in the book of Acts, you'll find out that there were several occasions where Paul would actually limit his freedoms and go back into the temple, even though he didn't have to. In fact, we're going to turn to some of those here in just a moment and read those. But there were all these laws. And Paul is saying here, listen, the purpose is to win as many as possible. So as we get down in here, now he gives us three examples in verses 20 through 22. So that's your next blank, three examples. Verses 20 through 22, he gives three groups of people and he shows how this idea of being a slave to all so that he can win as many people as possible, he shows how this plays out. And so the first group that he mentions here is the Jews. The Jews. And so flip the paper over there, you can see that. The Jews. Look at verse 20. He says, And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. Now, what's Paul saying here? Is he saying that he confused the issue by, uh, because clearly Paul stated in other places that a man is not justified by the deeds of the law, but by the hearing of faith. Can I get an amen there? Yeah, that better be the case, or we're all in trouble. If righteousness can be attained by the law, Christ died for nothing. Galatians 2 20, 21. So let's be very clear. The law has no salvific content. It does not save. But Paul, it's, it's interesting what he says here. He says that to the Jew, to those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them the, that are under the law. What does he mean? Turn with me to Acts chapter 16, verse 3. Turn there. We don't have these on the screen this morning. Acts chapter 16, verse 3. Look at this situation where Paul is going to have Timothy go through a surgery. Everybody say the word surgery. Surgery. How many of you would love to go through a surgery today to reach somebody for the gospel? I'm talking about a physical surgery. Look with me at Acts 16 verse 3. Now Paul has said in other places, like in Galatians and even I believe in Romans, he says that circumcision means nothing. It was an Old Testament ritual that marked the people of God. It has no saving benefit. It has no sanctifying benefit either, by the way. But Paul says here in Acts 16, 13, or actually Luke is writing about Paul and him finding Timothy. He says, him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they knew all that his father was a Greek. 
I'm making eye contact with everybody right now. Do you realize what Paul just had Timothy do? Uh, Question. If we were going to a mission field and your friend wanted you to go through a surgery before you went and reached these people, how many of you would sign up? This is awkward, you know, let, let alone... And you might be asking, why would this even be necessary? How would they even know? Well, back, back in those days, there were public restrooms, and isn't this sad? There are some people that are so legalistic, they would have spied out Timothy's liberty in the bathroom. Literally. They would have found out through secret spies. Oh, that's what they were facing at the churches of Galatia, too. Secret spies, you know, people who uh, go into places of privacy and see whether he was whether he had had this surgery or not. Or perhaps the Jews knew that his father was a Greek, and so the Jew probably would have had no problem saying, hey, Timothy, have you had a surgery? Again, talk about awkward. But notice, even with all that, Paul had Timothy go through a surgery so that that wouldn't be in the way, so that they could reach these people, God's people, the chosen people, the nation of Israel, so that they could reach them because they were also far from God. They did not have the righteousness of God by faith in the finished work of Jesus. And so if you turn over to Galatians, turn over there quickly to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, you're there in Acts 16. Turn to Galatians chapter 5. It says here in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, for in Jesus Christ, neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision. So Paul's saying circumcision doesn't avail you anything, but it's faith which worketh by love. Look over at 6 verse 15. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor circumcision, but a new creature. So Paul is establishing here that circumcision wasn't needful for salvation, and it wasn't even needful for sanctification. But yet, in this liberty... Paul asked Timothy to go through a physical surgery to give up his freedom so that they could minister effectively to these Jewish people in the first century because he knew that would be a hang-up. Wow. Would we be willing to go through an actual surgery to win more people to Christ? Not only did Paul have Timothy do this, but over in Acts 21, we won't, for sake of time, read that passage, but it's Acts 21, verses 17 through 26, if you want to write that down, Acts 21, 17 through 26. Paul would actually submit to James, the pastor at Jerusalem, and he would go through a temple purification ritual with four other men. He would go back into the temple, which had no more power. I mean, Paul wrote about this in other, in other epistles, but he would go into that temple, he would go through that purification rite, he would shave his head. Now, for some of you, shaving your head is not a big deal, you know, Rick, you know, others. But for some of us, would we shave our head to reach somebody far from God? And for me, it's getting a lot less of a big deal. But anyway, hair is thinning. <laughs> but isn't this amazing? So, Paul had this heart. He wanted to reach his Jewish kinsmen after the flesh. I mean, he would say over in Romans 9 that he even wishes he could be accursed in their place. And and so Paul 
took whatever means necessary. He limited his freedom. He knew circumcision didn't mean anything. He knew these temporal rituals really didn't mean anything now. Oh, oh, they meant something in the Old Testament because they pointed to Jesus. But he knew now they had no uh, uh, benefit. It was what Christ had done on the inside that matters. And so what is Paul laying out here? I think one of the principles he's laying out here with the Jews is that there's no reason to offend based on our personal preferences, the very ones we're longing to try to reach. For instance, yesterday, if I had first met Candace and I was sharing the gospel with her, and all of a sudden I piped up and started talking about Democrats and Republicans. I mean, let's just talk about it. Do I have the freedom to be political? Sure. I live in America. I'm an American. I have the freedom to be as political as I want to be. But for some of us, and this is for me, boy, personally in my own life, I have really been confronted with this, that if I'm not careful, somebody might look at my Facebook wall and think that Christianity is about having an R over your name. Last time I checked, Christianity wasn't about a donkey or an elephant. It was about a lamb dying upon a cross. And for some of us, for me, this is where, boy, God hit me with it. You know what? I'm going to be careful with being all political because you know what I do when I'm all political on social media or or I make that my platform? You know what I do? I immediately alienate at least 50% of people because they assume now that Christianity is about a certain political party. And one day, I don't want to stand before God and and, and have to think, well, you know, I, I, I... I really fought for the Republican platform, and yeah, all these people are now spending eternity without you because they got confused. My freedom, oh, am am I free to do that? Hey, you're as free as you want. I'm not here to try to hinder that freedom. But for me, I've chosen to limit what I say publicly in a political arena because Democrats, Libertarians, and Republicans need Jesus. And so there's an application that maybe some of us, that hits home for all of us, right? Boy, what was it this week? What was the controversy of the hour this week? And so it would have seemed really foolish for me to meet Candace yesterday at McDonald's and start talking to her. The very first thing out of my mouth was, well, did you vote last November? Who'd you vote for? That would have been really foolish, wouldn't it? But yet, you know what Paul was doing? He was trying to take away any distraction. So listen, was he willing to limit his freedoms? He was to reach the Jews, but also the Gentiles. Verse 21. Verse 21. It says here in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 9. Who has it? Hold on, I'll find it. To them that are without the law, as without the law. Not being without the law to God, but under the law to Christ. Ooh, I love that. Paul was helping the legalist here because... When he wrote to them without, oh, yeah, Paul, you're one of those lawless people. No, he's not. He has the law of Christ, a superseding greater law overseeing his life. It's the law of faith and love. It's the law of the new birth, the new covenant. And he didn't follow the law of Christ in order to gain God's approval. He followed those laws because they knew that, he were good, that, that they were good for his life, and he already had God's approval. And so Paul says here, I also want to reach the Gentiles, to them that are without the laws, without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. Do you see the passion and the purpose here? So Paul is laying out these examples. You know, for some of us, limiting our freedoms for the sake of the gospel is hard because we love our freedoms. 
So we have that side of it where limiting our freedoms is hard because we like our freedom that we found now in Christ. And so it'd be hard for us to say, oh, well, I'm going to limit myself there for the good of others. But folks, that's the purpose of our freedoms so that we can serve others. And so for some of us, limiting our freedoms is hard because we do love our freedoms. But others of us, catch this, others of us choosing to exercise some freedom that we've never chosen to exercise for the sake of the gospel, that's even more difficult. You know, Candace was so worried yesterday about coming to church today. She said, Pastor Brian, this is my best. She had a t-shirt and leggings on. That's all she has. She's covered in tattoos. Isn't it sad? She went to a very, very big church couple weeks ago, and she says that people looked at her like she was untouchable. Now, I don't know how much of that was in her head. I don't know how much of that was just Satan playing games with her. But you know what I told Candace yesterday? I said, Candace, you come on to church, and whatever you've got, we do prefer you wear clothes, amen? But I said, you come on to church. You come on to church. And I said, what you're going to see, I hope, I'm pretty confident. I know our people pretty well. They're going to show you the love of Jesus. It's not about how many tattoos you have on your skin. God's interested in your heart, and he wants your heart to be transformed. And so, Candace, you don't let that, you don't let the thought of people judging you, you, you don't let any of that keep you from being there tomorrow. And you know what? She was on her way. And so we're not going to let Satan get that victory. We'll go be the church. You know, for some of us, Isn't it great that God saved us at an early age? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that many of us have the testimony that we grew up in church. But I want to challenge us that for some of us, choosing to exercise a little freedom that we've never chosen to exercise actually might be more difficult. But are we willing to reach people far from God? I mean, are we willing to change? Change service times to reach more people? Are we willing to change the way the building looks? You know, this, this building doesn't have a steeple on it. It doesn't look churchy or as churchy. Are we willing to make changes, understanding that Satan loves to use anything he can to get in people's way of really getting the gospel? Paul had a philosophy here that he was willing to reach everyone he could by whatever means necessary Again, not sinning, that's clear. But Paul was passionate in pursuing people. Then he says the weak here in verse 22. The third example, the third group of people laying out this principle where he was a slave to all so that he might win as many as possible was to the weak. Now this word weak is not necessarily a negative word. It just means someone who has a sensitive conscience. And so certainly some of these Jews or even some of these Gentiles who had grown up either in religiosity for the Jew or paganism for the Gentile, they might have a weakened conscience towards certain freedoms that Paul practiced. The example that Paul mentioned earlier in 1 Corinthians 8 was meat, sacrificed to idols. Paul was all for a good deal on a steak. But for some people, that would have led them back into pagan idolatry, so he chose to limit his freedom when he was around them lest he harm their conscience. 
And so Paul says here in verse 22, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So Paul resolved in his heart that he was going to do all that he could to win as many people as he possibly could. And so may we resolve in our hearts to win everyone that we can, to do all that we can to win everyone that we possibly can. Paul gave up his freedoms to see more people come to Christ. And so is our heart attitude one that says, I want to win as many people as possible as long as we don't change anything around me that makes me comfortable? I mean, is that going to be what we say? Because being honest, that's what most churches say. Oh, we want to reach as many people as we can as long as it doesn't make us feel uncomfortable. As long as it doesn't ask us to go outside of the walls and make a difference. As long as we don't have to change anything that we're doing. As long as we don't have to change service times, as long as we don't have to change this or change that. As long as we don't have to change uh, decor or children's safety procedures. You know, one of the reasons that we encourage child safety procedures is for the fact that kids need to be safe. But also when a guest comes in who doesn't know us, they don't know you, they want to know that there's some kind of system in place that's going to make sure their children are safe because they don't know you and me. And when we, oh, well, that, oh, we shouldn't have to do that. You know what? Let's be uncomfortable for the sake of a guest who might come in worried. Satan's going to use the worry about their child being safe. And if they have a group of people who have said, you know what? This isn't comfortable for us. We don't like to have to go through this process every week. There you go, Pastor Don. We're getting more people doing child checking. We don't have to like to go through it, but we're really not even doing this for us, although it does have a great benefit for us, safety for our kids. But we're doing it so that when guests come and they check their children and they have at least some sense that they can be calm and come in our service and not have to worry about their children because there's a system in place for their kids to be safe. It's really choosing to look at church less selfishly. Amen. It's choosing to look at church less selfishly, but yes, is the church for us as believers? It is, but I don't know about you, but, but isn't part of, well, not part, isn't the great calling of the church to make disciples? And isn't the assumed in that that we're going to reach people so that they can become disciples? Amen. And so this is our calling, church. And so we should be able to say, Lord, we want to win as many people as possible. And if that if that means me making some changes, if that means me moving out of my comfort zone a little bit, and so be it. We see the priority. The priority for Paul over and over was the gospel, verse 23. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. That's it. Paul didn't want a platform for himself. Man, I love this quote I read this week. It said, preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Praise God, that's what I hope of my life. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. You know why? Because that's all that matters. That is the sum total of reality. And so Paul wasn't about building a name for himself. He wasn't about building a platform for himself. He was about the gospel. That was his priority. Paul gave up his preferences because he wanted to see more people come to Christ. 
And the reason, listen, I want to commend some of you. I realize we have made some, some changes over the years. And for some of y'all, you have lived this out. You, you've said, listen, I don't even prefer everything at Fairview. I mean, let's just be honest. I don't prefer the location ever since we relocated. I don't prefer, you know, driving to this side of town, or I don't prefer this or that. I don't prefer that song, or I don't prefer that style, or I don't prefer how, how that happens. But you choose to stay here because there's a bigger purpose, isn't there? There's a bigger purpose, and it's the gospel. The priority is the gospel. And so when a service time gets changed, yeah, it might not be something that we prefer or a program or a lack of a program. We, we say, you know what? Those are all secondary because we are here for one singular purpose, and that is the gospel, to make disciples, to see people receive God's grace, grow in that grace, and then give their lives as they serve him by grace. What's the driving passion of our life? Is it to reach as many people as possible to bring glory to God? Listen, it shouldn't be to win as many people as convenient because, I, because guess what? It's always not going to be convenient. Was it convenient for me to leave this morning at 835 and go down the road and stand on the side of the road and, and, and try to console a, a mother who almost lost her life with her? No, it wasn't convenient. I was trying to think about preaching this morning. That wasn't convenient. But you know what? I'm tired of convenient. I'm tired of comfortability. It's not to win as many people as long as I don't feel uncomfortable. Listen, I pray that people walk through our doors and we have to purposely say, oh, I'm not comfortable with this. But you know what? I'm going to see past that and I'm going to reach them. I'm going to love them. I mean, someone who's been told their entire life that they are not wanted, that they are trash, do you know what they need to hear? They need to hear that they are valued, accepted, loved. And you know what? I know that because, and there might be a teenager or a young adult or an, or an older adult here this morning who might have walked in this morning thinking, I'm worthless, I'm trash. No, you're not. Jesus paid the ultimate price for you. That tells me you are of eternal value to God. He loves you. And so, when we reach people far from God, are they going to do everything that you might do? No. But who's going to reach them? Who's going to walk that long, tough, inconvenient, uncomfortable road with them? Must be us. And then we see not only the priority of the gospel, but we see this priority illustrated. In verses 24 through 27, it says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that you may obtain, and everyone that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul spoke of athletics often, in this book because Corinth was known for several uh, ancient Greek games. Of course, the Olympic Games, the Isthmian Games, the Nemimian Games, all those different games that would occur. And uh, Paul would use this athletic illustration several times throughout this book. But the reason he did it was to paint a familiar picture to the people because it was common. As you read this, there's some things that really uh, 
don't make sense to us because, like, for instance, in our modern-day Olympics, you have a first, second, and third-place winner, and they receive a gold, silver, or bronze medal. But notice here it says, Know you not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So in these games, they only, there would only be one, one winner. So second place was the first loser, right? So there's only one winner. And then they didn't receive a medal. They received actually a perishable wreath. Basically, they would take whatever tree was common in that area, and they would make a wreath. And so in the areas where, where Paul built his tents, uh, many times he would build these tents for um, people who, were, who would come in from out of town for these games. They actually made the, the uh, crown, the uh, one prize, out of a pine, pine tree. So they wear a pine tree on their head. And of course, sooner or later, that pine tree would fall apart. It was a perishable crown. But Paul says here that we receive an incorruptible crown. Now, you might ask yourself, what's the prize? There's a lot of confusion on this, I believe, but I believe in context. The prize that Paul is talking about running to obtain are the people. Because the people are the only thing that truly will last beyond this life. And the people that you have with you at the throne singing worthy as the lamb that was slain are the people that will be with you. That's the prize. I think that's the context here because as he lays this out, he comes back to the same idea of slavery in verse 27. So all this is a, is a, is a whole. It's not as if Paul jumps ideas and talks about this ethereal prize that only one person gets. No, he's talking about running with purpose to get the prize of the people that he was willing to subject his freedoms to to reach. And so the prize here is people. The prize is winning others to Christ so that they will be a part of that uh, numberless throng, thousands upon ten thousands, singing, Worthy is the Lamb. And so the challenge for us today is to orient our life for eternity, for things that will last. And what is the only thing that will last beyond this life? Others that go with you to heaven. And so are we going to run with purpose or are we going to run aimlessly? I love what he says there in verse 26. Therefore, so, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. Hey, people, people that run. Would you do it if there was not a reason? Now, maybe some of you are crazy enough just to, oh, I'm just going to run just for the fun. Have fun with that insanity. I only run for a purpose. I'm running so I don't die sooner. Well, some of you would argue that running you will die sooner. But anyway, I don't run to die sooner. I run so that I can be healthy. If I run a race, there's a starting line and there's a finishing line. And you don't finish the race until you cross the finish line. And if you're running that race with people, you want to finish with them. You want, you want them to finish. And, and I think the idea here that Paul is saying is, is listen... We run with a purpose. We run with the purpose of bringing others with us to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. C.T. Studd said, Some wish to stay within the sound of church or chapel bell.
rather run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Oh, church, what is our purpose? Charles Spurgeon said, the fact is, brethren, we must have conversion work here. We cannot go on as some churches do without converts. We cannot, we will not, we must not, we dare not. Souls must be converted here. And if there be not many born to Christ, may the Lord grant to me that I may sleep in the tomb and be heard no more. Better indeed for us to die than to live if souls be not saved. These two quotes come from men who had a mission, who had a purpose, who had a passion. What about us? What about us, brothers and sisters? What about me? Where is our passion for those who are far from Christ? What are we doing to win as many people as possible?